Welcome to the Good Theological Thursday podcast. My name is James Crockett. And I am Dre Clark. And we are glad to have you join in our conversation today. We hope that this podcast helps you as you think about your life and God and how they fit together. And a good Theological Thursday to all of you. We are in Season 8, Episode 6 of the podcast, uh, continuing our series on how does that work. This will actually be the final installment of that series. We are talking about law and grace and how that works in Scripture. So it should be a good discussion. Dre, you and I, we were talking beforehand. We're both going to be pushing through the day. You, because uh, you have a little bit of, a uh, little under the weather, trying to take care of two kids, and uh, me, because I'm old and have a crick <laughs> in my back. Uh, so so I, I apologize to anybody listening. If you hear me randomly grunt, it's maybe I moved the wrong way. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's definitely definitely an old person thing. So No, I, I actually, uh-huh. I, didn't, I didn't tell you this earlier, I can't hear out of my right ear. And so um, I have I have this weird, I have really weird ear cavities. And so like I, I've literally um, back in my hometown, I used to have a a guy that would I would go to you know once or twice a year, and he would actually vacuum my ears out because I have just such a weird cavity, just like accumulates. Oh wow! It's super gross, right? But the the pro of that is is that my ears, even though I listen to a lot of music and play a lot of you know it was a lot of you know worship teens and rock bands growing up, uh, my ears are actually pristine because it's like insulated because of the way my ears are. So um, <laughs> anyway, so I really I really have terrible hearing, but I actually have good ears. It's a weird balance. But my right ear, I can't hear out of it. And so it's giving me a weird headache. So yeah, it's it's just been fun. And then yeah, taking care of two kiddos last night, didn't get too much sleep. But man, I was really proud of myself. I survived. I got the whole house clean last night. Um, I, was, I, was, I took off uh, last yesterday from work to take care of a kiddo that was, was not feeling good. And so I got the whole house cleaned and got everything nice. done and got, got all my emails. I actually got more work done than normal. So being in the office and that weird how that works, but yeah, but yeah, yeah I find that I find actually oftentimes I've talked with fellow staff members. We find we, we do a lot more work when we're not in the office. Uh, I, I don't do, I don't feel like I do more work at home. I, I really can't just cause the way, my, uh, you know, we live in a little duplex, and so the way it's set up, I don't really have an office space in there, and so trying to work at home would just involve my two-year-old wanting to like um, be all up in my business the whole time. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do find sometimes going to a good coffee shop, I, I get more work done than maybe sitting in my office. Yeah, um, depending on the task, but yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, how that works. I'll clarify. I get more work. I get more tasks done. I don't know if I get more work. Yeah, done. that's true. That, that's true. That's true. Sometimes you've got to be in person to have more of the, I don't know, the, some of the meaningful kind of stuff too. But yeah, I definitely get more yeah. tasks. So I got a lot of tasks done yesterday. So yeah, yeah. When you're in the office, it becomes there's a lot of like uh, interruptions for tasks, but they're all often good interruptions because it is it's just ministering to people. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. All right. But Dre, let's go ahead and dive in into our weekly wisdom and wonderings, our W3 segment. Uh, Dre, why don't you go ahead? You've been starting this series on leadership thoughts, so go ahead and give us your leadership thought uh, for the day. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, leadership thought for this week, um, and uh, I really wish I remember where I got I think I got this one from... 
Oh, was, I got it at Champion Force, and one of my bosses, I can't remember which one it was. Uh, mm-hmm. But but the idea is um, that you, so here, here's leadership top, you should speak well in public of others so that you can speak real to them in private. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the idea is that if, if um, it's kind of a good practice that whenever you're in a public setting, like you should never just openly bash somebody. Like if you got a teammate who's... You know, and, and it, this even plays on last week, right? Like in public settings, like we want to be encouragers, right? In public settings, doesn't mean we want to we want to you know not address so go in that last ten percent. We want to address real issues, um, but especially whenever we're dealing with people, right? We we want to speak well. We don't want to gossip. We don't want to um, you know talk bad about oh this staff member is always like this, right? We want to speak well of people in public. But what that lets you do if you if you become known as this, if you can kind of get that art down. And that actually frees you up to speak real to them in private, um, and mm-hmm. so it's it, it's kind of this 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 way of you know earning some relational equity, um, and so just making it a habit, speaking well of people, um, you know, encouraging them to their face and behind their back, speaking well of them. Um, that that'll actually free you up to be able to go and say, hey, I'm on your team. It kind of it kind of creates this this emphasis of, hey, this person's for me. But then, whenever I go and I need to actually talk about real stuff, then I can actually go that last ten percent. Um, I can I can talk about the stuff that really needs to be talked about um, in a healthy yeah. way. So yeah, there's the leadership thought for the week. Any thoughts on it? Yeah, I I, I carry that over um, into marriage. Uh, for anyone who's listening who's married, uh, one of the practices my wife and I have made is that we always speak well of each other uh, when we're around other people. Uh, I, and I see this, I feel like I see this too often um, with husbands and wives where like it's like a husband will go out and he'll be around some of his guy friends and then he'll like talk about almost just air out and ro- mm. spend time roasting his wife and some guys like do you ever speak positively about her um, and the same thing sometimes with wives with their girlfriends that they'll go out and they'll just talk about all the they'll just kind of air out their dirty laundry or they'll just air out all the things that um, annoys them about their husband and so uh, something that Abby and I have done in, is we've tried to make it a practice that we're always going to speak positively, positively of each other to others. Um, and, and if we need, if we need to talk through some issues like that we're dealing with at home, it's going to be very select few people, like people we would very much trust. Um, not that we've really had to do that, thankfully, but. Uh, yeah, I think too many times in marital relationships uh, that husbands and wives don't practice straight what you're talking about. Yeah. And so I think that to have a healthy marriage, I think practicing this principle even there can lead leads to a lot healthier marriage and a lot a lot more trust uh, in your yeah. marriage. Yeah. Well, even the reverse side, not just talking about them outside, but then I think you could also say, hey, how do I, I'm not having real conversations with the people that I'm closest with, right? Um, well, probably mm-hmm. because you haven't earned, uh, to, you know, the safety, the a safe space to actually be able to talk with them that way. And so, how do you yeah. talk about them in mm-hmm. private, you know, public? Because because if they because people know, right? People people kind of have this sense, I think, hey, people are talking bad about me or whatever it is, and so. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and there could be some paranoia in there, but I, I just think too. But that's why it's it's important to publicly praise people publicly. You know, speak well, um, so that you can actually develop those more intimate conversations. Is now you're somebody they can trust, and so I think it works the other way too. Um, of being able to have those things. Yeah, that's it. That's my uh, my leadership thought for today. I don't know if I'm, are we going to continue this, James? Now that we're done with our this will be our last week of our series. Should I do my series within a series? My little inception moment. I don't know. I'll, I'm not. Mm. 
Unless you got. Well, I feel like the series. I feel like the series within the series can 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 continue just now as a regular series. No, as a regular series, it's not as fun. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of that, let's get into our last uh, our last topic. How does that work? Um, We've been in this for I guess five weeks. Um, Something like that. Yeah, yeah. just concepts that seem to be in opposition uh, that that are that are not, or that maybe that are hard to work out. And so, James, we're actually going back to one of the first ones. I think this is one of the easiest ones. So, law and grace. Um, maybe not as one that we wrestle with as much, but definitely the early church, New Testament church, was wrestling with this. Um, and I do mm-hmm. think in people's lives, I think you know, I think sometimes we. We play this this game back and forth of falling into law, uh, falling into uh, rule keeping, uh, versus mm-hmm. relationship and, and understanding grace. I think it's still pretty applicable, but um, yeah. yeah. So, how do you want to start this one off, James? Yeah. Well, even building on just the ideas you're talking about, I think conceptually, this one is easier to reconcile than perhaps talking about the humanity and divinity of Jesus or the Trinity or. Uh, what we talked about last week, which was um, free will and sovereign or human will and sovereignty. Mm. Uh, this is, I feel like this is a little bit simpler to work out um, in a sense, conceptually. But I, I think I think it's difficult um, to live out. Right. If, if that's what if that makes sense, it's really difficult to apply this uh, because I especially think. The grace side is really difficult for us to understand because it's, I think you spend your entire lifetime trying to understand the depths of God's grace, um, which is a really great pursuit. And so yeah. I think in practice, this is where it gets really difficult. And and like you said, I will say um, with the early church, like if you were to if you were to take a time machine and go back to right up to the time of Christ, the church is getting started you were to ask what are like the top issues that the church is really trying to wrestle with. And they would probably say to you like in the top, you know, you know, maybe at the top, like who was Jesus and uh, you know, but really maybe even above that is just how does law and grace work, right? Uh, This is Hmm. the, this is the hot topic. And, you know, Paul spends a lot of his letters talking about law and grace. And so, you know, and and even today, like if you want to look on the theological side, academic field, I mean, there is a lot of debate even, especially in Pauline scholarship, there's a lot of debate on how Paul viewed the law. Um, And Mm. so, uh, yeah, so it it is a, it can get to be, you dive deeper into it, it can get to be a pretty hefty topic. Yeah, yeah. And I think even just piggybacking on that too, if you want to go deeper in your understanding of New Testament, uh, you, you need even Old Testament that you need to understand this concept. It, it is a pivotal, pivotal concept in the biblical mm-hmm. narrative, um, and so yeah, I think I do think that's why it, it, it does kind of come as a dichotomy at some places because you really do have to wrestle these two elements. And so, um, and even even you know, practical. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but you know, even stuff with LGBTQ culture and things like that. Like, well, or do we use Leviticus or not? Because that's the law, and we're under grace and. You know, or is this even a sin? You know, all this different kind of stuff. And there's all sorts of things that can kind of come into how do you understand it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so, James, I'd want to start off with uh, just defining terms. So that's kind of, you know, default default way. Um, you mm-hmm. know, how would you define law? How, I mean, this is, as we're kind of talking about why why these might be in opposition um, in, in biblical times and our time today, what, what, what do you talk about whenever we talk about law? Um. Well, I mean, you could talk broadly about what is law. I mean, law is a set of 
set of rules. Maybe maybe that's that's maybe too simplistic. Um, a set of regulations, set of rules that you know tell a community how they are to conduct themselves. Right, that outline the terms by which a community should conduct themselves. And law will often include here are the here are the things you need to do. And here is the reward for doing these things. Here's the punishment for not doing these things, right? Um, yeah. And so that there's a very broad concept of law. But if we want to talk about it, uh, okay, biblically, you know, what is God's law, right? Uh, you know, and especially maybe even looking in the Old Testament. I'm, well, you know, again, you know, you could say, well, the law is the Torah. It's the it's books Genesis through Deuteronomy. Uh, the law is what God gave to his people on Mount Sinai. It's the, the law is the distinguishing marker that God gives to his people that helps set them apart from all the other nations of the earth, right? That God's law was important because of how it distinguished his people. Um, and so, and then you get into good grief. I mean, that's just like, you know, basic, even old Testament law and, Maybe I won't cover this yet. Maybe we'll get to this in a second. But there's also like, what is the purpose of the law? And I, I kind of laid out a little bit of what the law does. Um, but I think that's that it, that's a question that gets wrestled with in the New Testament of what is the purpose of the law? Because I, th- I think, you know, Paul doesn't have, you know, if, well, l- let me save that because that might be getting ahead of ourselves. So uh, anything to add there, though, just some kind of I- I'm just trying to give a very Broad, yeah. Basic definition of law. Yeah, I'll, I'll add. I mean, I, I take it. I take it one little step further because I, I do in my theology. I do distinguish between law and uh, commands. Um, and yeah, not, not yeah, every. That's, not, commands is probably too simplistic. Yeah, yeah. So. Not, not every command yeah. is a law, right? So you get, um, yeah. you know, so is it a law? So back in Genesis, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's a command, or. or you know, uh, you know, you know, separate the, uh, the the dry land from the from the wetlands. We need to go and you know cover up our grass. So that, I mean, is that is that a is that a law? Like we have to now we can't have mm-hmm. water. Touch. And so you got to be. There's a lot of commands in the Bible, um, but what makes a law is there's penalty. So I, I hear my professor's mm-hmm. voice coming back in my head that says a, a, a command without a uh, consequence is just. Uh, a guideline and <laughs> good advice, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. So if, if I'm driving down the road and a, a, a cop pulls me over and says, um, you know how fast you're going? I'd be like, oh, yeah, I was going I was going, you know, 75. And he's like, well, the speed limit's 30. I'll be like, okay. He's like, okay, well, cool. Have a good day, right? <laughs> well, I, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's just a posted yeah. – uh-huh. it's, it's a suggestion, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. so a law becomes law whenever there's penalty. There's there's a consequence involved, um, which I, I find to be interesting. So the Ten Commandments are actually not – Laws. Um, there's not a consequence to them. The, to find out the Ten Commandments, how they're played out, they are the guidelines for the laws. You read the rest of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you're going to see. Uh, you can actually track the book by which commandment they're um, expounding on, um, and, mm-hmm. and, and then they're giving consequences. That, anyways, that's just a, a side thing. So, yeah, I think law is is something that, that is. There's a prohibition with a direct consequence to breaking that, um, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. yeah, and so some things precede the law then some things are, are told before there's a law given and, and, and so mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you can't rebel against those but they're not the law at least in, in that sense um, yeah so that, I clarify yeah that and, yeah no I think that's good uh, I think and Paul 
that last point, Paul emphasizes that in Romans. He talks about Correct. Abraham who came before the law and yeah. you know, where the Jews begin to elevate the law of Moses. And so mm-hmm. then Paul goes back to Abraham who preceded preceded the law and you know basically pointing out look there's much more in the biblical story than the giving of the law and so um so maybe maybe let's go here so that's a definition of law uh, maybe do you want to give a definition of grace uh so we can just say law and grace here, here are kind of our terms yeah i mean i would just say grace is um it's not you know the difference between mercy and grace i think often we get those confused um Mercy kind of implies this, I'm not getting what I deserve. Grace implies that too, but grace also kind of implies beyond that, getting what I don't deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So one, yeah. one is kind of on the negative, the other one's a bit more on the positive. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but it's it's the idea that, that you know, this, this cause and effect of, of breaking or sin or missing the mark, what's the, what's the consequence, what's the, what's the reality of not meeting up to such expectation, right? Um, well, then that mm. could be mercy, but then grace is just beyond that. It's it's it is unmerited favor. Um, yeah. it's, it's favor yeah. that's that's unearned, un, uncredited. So that, I'd clarify with that. Yeah, I was gonna just say what you just said, unmerited favor, and yeah. so uh, yeah. And again, I, I think grace is something it's easy for us to talk about as far as like, okay, we understand what it is, but the depths of grace are the thing is the thing that we're constantly pursuing to see the depths of God's grace and learning how to operate um, mm. in God's grace, I think is where it becomes, you know, for a lot of believers becomes more difficult. Mm-hmm. So let, let's move into talking about this, you know, one, let me ask just a simple question here, because there could be, you know, it, obviously when we say, how does that work? The reason we're saying that is because we see some sort of dichotomy between two things. So do you see a dichotomy between the law and grace? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if by dichotomy, these, these are two, I mean, these are, they're two different things that are, they coincide, um, but they, they, they're not, they're not one of the same. So yeah, I, I would say, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes I think of like a false dichotomy. I'm, I'm now separating two things that ought not to be separated, um, yeah, I think that that it is by nature of what grace is, and how it it's an opposition almost in a sense. Maybe you don't want to use yeah. that word yeah. to the law. It definitely doesn't coincide with the law. It's it's a it's a, it's something completely foreign to the law. So I so I would hold that there's a dichotomy there. I mean, just, how are you thinking about that? No, I, I mean I think there is a basic dichotomy. Um, obviously, because how the law the end of the law is punishment and penalty the mm-hmm. end of grace is favor right so there is yeah. a dichotomy in a sense but i i think there it's there's it, there's a difference between saying there's a dichotomy and mm-hmm. that the two are like competing against each other right that they're contradicting yeah. each other yeah right so i, I, I think don't you're think, picking up this idea of uh, i think romans would describe it as like the telos the purpose of the law which mm-hmm. is what you were saying earlier right so that that the, they do lead, you know, the law, the law ought to lead us. I mean, I think this is, this is the point of Romans. Romans trying to describe grace, it almost becomes tricky because once you understand grace, there's some implications that Paul's like, well, no, that's, you've missed the point. But you also would ask the question because that's the way it's presented. So I think there's this, this purpose for the law that leads us to grace. 
Um, and so in that sense, I don't mm. think there is a a um, there's dis, you know, I do think there's an emphasis between the discontinuity between what Christ is doing, and what the law was doing. Um, I do think that's new, mm-hmm. but I do think that uh, that the purpose of them is is the bridge that kind of sequentially ties them together. Is that what you're trying to describe? Yeah, yeah. I think you know Paul will say it this way. I'm trying to find. Yeah. Again, what is, what is the end of the law, or what is the purpose of the law? And so, Paul, in many ways, because because really, the thing I'm getting at is, you know, some New Testament scholars they come in, and you know, I think this is becoming less and less the case. Uh, this was maybe more. This was maybe more the case uh, earlier in the 20th century, where you had this movement in New Testament scholarship that Paul just had this purely negative view of the law, right? Mm-hmm. That the old test, like he just, he was just very negative toward it. And I don't think that's really the picture that Paul paints in the new Testament. And I really think a lot of scholars today would disagree with those past notions that Paul's not necessarily just completely negative toward the law, even. And so people have for a long time tried to work out when Paul says negative things, seemingly negative things about the law and seemingly positive things about the law. And really, again, what you said, I think it comes down to, the the end of the law, the purpose of the law. How how were people using the law? So, for instance, Paul says in Romans seven verse seven, "What shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had said, you shall not covet." And, and then again, Romans seven complicated passage. He goes in to talk about that sin taking opportunity. Um, you, you know through the commandment produced that within him, right? So uh, the idea is the law is good in the sense it does reveal uh, what is sin. It reveals to us uh, what is, you know, what is what are the things that are displeasing to God? What are the things that are pleasing to God? Uh, it ends up being to our, not to our benefit because we break the law, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. all of a sudden we become the subjects um, to the penalty of the law. But I would also say, in a sense, again, how law and grace works together, I would not have known grace had I not known the law. Yeah. Right? I, I think God's revelation of the law in the Old Testament also leads to a revelation of his grace, of his loving kindness. I even think like the that's what, you know, these early sacrifices begin to point to. Like when he gives these sacrificial laws, it points to the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, and eventually, of course, points us to Christ himself. And so so the law and grace have dichotomies in some sense, but they also, the interesting thing about it is they do work together in the sense that had I not known the law, I would not have known grace, and I would not have known the depths of God's grace. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, and I think that I, I want to I want to pause there and really focus on that because we're talking about you know what are the tensions that are there. Um, I do mm-hmm. think I do think today a lot of attitudes of believers towards the law is that old notion of of it's negative and oh I hate the law and. You know, you know, the Romans seven. Well, I'm I'm dead to the law, and so it's it's a, it's a woman who mm-hmm. I'm divorced. And all, but but being biblical, you can't hold that. So um, Psalm Psalm one nineteen, one of the most popular psalms, right? Um, look at the mm-hmm. way that it, it talks about this. You know, I will delight in your statutes, right? I'll meditate on your mm-hmm. precepts. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. I stirred your word in my heart. Um, you know, just seeking through. There's all these different things. I, I've kept your testimonies. 
Um, your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselors. Um, teach me your statutes, right? This is uh, verse 30, mm-hmm. 34, 38. Um, lead me in the path of your commands. I delight in it. Um, incline mm-hmm. my heart to your testimonies and not selfish gain. And then um, oh, here's one. I, do not take the word of truth utterly from my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. Right? So the way that the, mm-hmm. the psalmist talks about it, which I would be, believe the way that Paul if he's being biblical, which I would argue he is, especially in his writings, the attitude towards the law is actually one of, of delight. And, and so I think that actually brings the first tension is that oftentimes in these conversations and even oftentimes in our own lives, we don't view and, and, you know, we don't view these rules as, as delight. And maybe we should because mm-hmm. because of where they lead us to. So not not because, you know, you know, we're under them. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But but I do think that, that in this sense um, the the laws are a good thing, Paul, and I think Paul would say that. I, I know Paul would say it, right? Um, he, he's he is, is, is he, he would actually praise the the purpose of the law, but the question is, is what mm-hmm. is the correct purpose? That's where we get caught up. Um, and so yeah, yeah you, so you meet people, you meet Christians that come in and say, well, Christianity is just about rules, and we say that negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe our attitude ought to be. Yes, it is. It is about rules. Thank goodness, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I, that should mm-hmm. be a point of delight for us. And, and, yeah. and, and but then the question becomes, why, right? <laughs> and um, anyway, so we'll keep keep mm-hmm. going from there. I'll, I'll leave that kind of hanging. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe even to even to play out this example here of how the law produces, in, in a sense, you know, the Old Testament, the law was something to delight in or to have joy in, but the law also produced. It could produce grief. Uh, so a good example of this, I think, is in Nehemiah, right? This mm-hmm. is when the Israelites return from exile and you're in Nehemiah 8. And it talks about how you know Ezra gets up and he gets up with some other leaders and they begin to read the law, right? And mm-hmm. they begin – and the people stand for the reading of the law. They're rejoicing that the law is read. They're eager. In fact, they, they call on Ezra, hey, pull the law out. We want to hear the law. And so the people – uh, at this time, they they do they delight in the law of God, but then also mm-hmm. as they begin to hear the law read, eventually they begin to weep, and you know at that point they begin to weep because they realized that they as a nation had not been faithful yeah. uh, to God's law, and that they there was penalties, and that they were the exile that they were in, they were very deserving of, yeah. um, and. But then at the end, the interesting thing about Nehemiah is uh, at the end, these people are grieving. But then Nehemiah and Ezra, they say to them, uh, verse 9, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and Mm. send portions to anyone who has Mm. nothing ready. For the day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So Nehemiah and Ezra, they bring the people through. They're rejoicing that the law is going to be read. They begin to weep and grieve because they realize the implications of the law is that they are deserving of penalty and of judgment. But then Nehemiah says, rejoice. And I think the reason he tells them rejoice is twofold. One, they were at that point, they're celebrating the Feast of Trumpets, which was supposed to be a day of rejoicing. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, so he says, it's okay, you can rejoice now. But I also think the other reason they can rejoice is because despite Israel's unfaithfulness to God and, and despite the fact that they had, they were deserving of the penalty of the law, that God was continuing to show his 
you know, the Old Testament uses the term hesed, the, his loving kindness, his mercy. In a sense, I, I think that kind of gets played out more in the New Testament when we begin to talk about grace. In a sense, I would say that God is showing now his grace um, to his people by bringing them back to their land from exile, by yeah. allowing them to rebuild the temple. And so even as early as the Old Testament, and, and I think this is another thing we have to say, like, I don't think grace is purely a New Testament concept. I think it is talked about in the Old Testament, maybe just in different ways. Yeah. And obviously it's the Christ event changed. Yeah. Yes. And the Christ event changes everything, right? That's where we really begin to understand God's mm-hmm. grace. But it's not like the Old Testament has no conception of grace. Yeah. Yeah. So even to kind of back when that too, I mean, you know, how, how can people... You know how how can the the audience of Nehemiah go from delighting to weeping to now rejoicing and hoping? Right, it was because the law makes provisions within itself for what to do whenever mm-hmm. you break it. Right, there's forgiveness mm-hmm. built into the to the whole system. Right, the law actually almost assumes. Go go look at a uh, Deuteronomy 28 or, or uh, Leviticus 26. You look at hey, if you break this, these things will happen. If you do this, these things will happen. Right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like God knows, hey, the, the list is, is not, not uh, proportionate, <laughs> right? The, 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 if you break mm-hmm. it list is much longer than if you keep it list. It's almost as if God's saying, if you keep it, this will happen, but you're not going to keep it, <laughs> right? Um, and mm-hmm. when you don't keep it, by the way, go back to, you know, here's, here's, here's what you do. Here's how you atone, right? And so you do get the day yeah. of atonement. And so you, so you actually get in the, in the law this, this precursor for, wait, we're not good. The law... The law is good for us, like we need it, because if not, we're just going to all live without it, and that would be, you know, like a purge situation, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. we can't keep it, so that sucks. But then it's also like, wait, we can't keep it, but now God's made a way for us to get out of it, which ultimately Christ comes in, and He is the mm-hmm. He's the one who He's the He fulfills the law, right? Yeah. And so you do yeah. get this. You get this. Um, you know, progressive revelation. So I do think you get these forerunners of, of grace, maybe forerunners of mercy, then it's all accumulated into Christ and Christ does for us beyond what anyone can imagine. I mean, it's just, it's outstanding the level of grace that he, he mediates for us as him being, you know, our new high priest. And so, yeah, you, you get this, um, you get this amazing progression in the story. So yeah. And so the law, and and, and in Romans, Paul would comment like, this is always what the law was doing. The law was always Mm -hmm. prepping us for this, um, I would even go back. I know this is not correct, but I would even go back to the giving of the law um, when the people say, uh, yeah, give it to us. Like, we're going to keep it. Um, I, I always think, man, bunch of idiots. Y'all should have just said, <laughs> y'all should have just said, no, God, we don't want your laws. We're not going to keep it. And then <laughs> just just give us, can we just have the punchline yeah. now, right? They should have understood that, yeah. but they're dumb. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah we'll keep that. Um, and that, yeah. was their, that was their mistake. And so it's almost like this, you know, very long learning lesson um, of God saying, all right, you want yeah. to try to be holy like I'm holy? Okay. <laughs> and yeah. they, they should have said, no, maybe, we can't do it. Maybe maybe almost whenever they're given the law instead of, oh, we'll keep it, saying, God, we can't keep this. Lord, what are you going yeah, to give you, this to us? What are you going to do to why, help yeah. us? Why, right? are you, why are you doing this? Uh, this, this? Don't do that. Yeah. Do something different, right? Yeah, they should have started yeah. there. But yeah, so this is, so, so they do, they, they, they are too... Two forces that, that do travel along in the narrative that ultimately mm-hmm. um, find their fulfillment um, or find their not fulfillment they find their um, peak. They right? come together in Christ. Right? Come together yeah. in Christ, right? So that yeah, exactly. So Christ is he is the only one truly 
under the law. He who knew no sin became sin for us, bore the curse, you know, mm-hmm. cur- and, and, and then he um, fulfills the law in a way that, that no human, no only human <laughs> could ever do. Christ was fully human, so he, he was able to do that in his humanity. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think that's a, such a key point. You know, you talk about Christ being the fulfillment of the law. When you understand what the law is doing in the Old Testament, how it gives these regulations, but then it makes provision. It has provisions within itself to uh, for when the people do not follow the law. There are provisions there to get them right with God. And again, which I think at that point you begin to understand what Jesus means. Um, when he says that I've come not to destroy the law, but to, but, uh, sorry, but to fulfill it. In a sense, what he's saying is he, he is the ultimate fulfillment of the provisions that the law gives, right? And so the, 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 ind- the indication of law is that there is a penalty that has to be paid, right? The law demands that. You know, and so the law can exist and a penalty not be paid. Like the mm-hmm. very notion of law uh, will suggest that a penalty cannot go unpaid. And so this is what it means then that Christ is the one who is the fulfillment of the law because he fulfills that provision once and for all. And that's where, again, everything changes. Uh, and this is where, and I think this is what Paul is fighting against so much in Romans, especially in Galatians, when he's dealing with these Galatian believers and the Judaizers, it's like, hey, look, you're going back when you've forgotten that Christ has fulfilled the provisions that the law gives. And so you're imposing mm. on these Gentiles things you don't need to be imposing because Christ took care of that. Right. Yeah. So and, and really, again, I, I think he's not critical of the law itself. What Paul is critical of is misuses of the law. Right, it's when people used it's when people used the law um, um, in incorrect ways or failed to understand what the law was doing. You know, in Galatians, he calls the law a guardian. Right, mm. that it was you know it kind of it guarded humanity until Christ comes. Right, and, and so again, that law is not you know, a very simple way to say this mm. is the law in and of itself was never meant to be like by itself, the thing that saves humanity, right? That's not what the law did. Uh, What the law was meant to do was in many ways reveal, I I think you get a couple of things. One, Paul says, I would not have known sin had I not been under the law, right? So the law reveals sinfulness and really kind of unveils the true enemy, right? In Romans, the true enemy is sin and death. And so the law kind of unveils that uh, for humanity to see that here's the enemy here. Is that we are in? We are under the realm of sin and death, and the law kind of points us, points that out to us. Um, but then, too, that the law points us to the need of a provision, right? That the law suggests to us, in and of itself, that here are the thing, here are the regulations. By the way, the law also suggests to you you can't keep these, so you need a mediator, right? Yeah. You need someone who's going to fulfill the, fulfill the provisions of the law. And again, that's where we begin to understand grace and as Christ begins um, to fulfill the law. Yeah. So, um, so I want I want to lead kind of back to like you know how does that work? Kind of back to this last tension. So, all of that being said, James, does that leave us with antinomianism? Um, does that lead of leave us with okay? So the law is we no longer need it. You know, and it's not shouldn't be part of Christianity. And um, maybe maybe to uh, 
to go with what Luther said, where, you know, to err on the side of grace and to sin boldly, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm, I'm, I know Luther is not antinomian. I'm being facetious, but right. um, and I know what he meant by that quote. But I'm, I'm asking, so does this lead us to antinomianism? No, well, I don't, I don't think you ever find uh, where... I don't think Paul suggests that we leave the law completely behind. Now, he does say, and you know, this is in some senses there are parts of the law that the early church has to work out. Of mm-hmm. good, keep talking. I hope we disagree. We I think we're going to disagree here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm um, hoping we disagree. So, so like you know, circumcision, right? You know, yeah. Paul. If we want to just bring in the idea of circumcision. Uh, I don't. I don't leave behind circumcision. Maybe that's not really the best way to say that. I, I. I do think though that you know the early church is working out. Like, look, there are certain things that we need to emphasize, and there are certain other things that we don't necessarily need to emphasize. And so, uh, making circumcision a specifically making circumcision a. I, I think the concern in the early church was making circumcision like like some sort of salvific issue where mm-hmm. like you're not a true follower of Christ unless you're circumcised um, you, know, you know Paul will often say that phys- circumcision of the hands doesn't matter anymore um, it's circumcision of the heart that matters right it's the it's the transformation of the heart it's the spirit who comes in and he's the true marker the spirit within you um, is the true marker of of what it means to be a what it means to be part of God's people now, so yeah, leave behind the law. I I don't like I don't want to say that that gets too close to um, um our dear friend Andy Stanley famously said we need to unhitch ourselves from mm-hmm. the Christianity needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. And I I really don't I don't see that, and I don't see Paul ever doing that because. I really don't see any of the early New Testament writers doing this because they use the Old Testament itself a lot. Uh, you know, if you read the New Testament, you know you you can get a sense of how important the Old Testament is to them and how important the law is to them uh, to understand the grace of God. So, um, yeah, and I think so. Yeah, I don't think we need to leave the law behind. Um, now, do I think we need to do? We all need to become like Messianic Jews and follow the dietary restrictions and, mm-hmm. you know, do all the do all the sacrificial things like, I, no, I don't think we need to do all that. But the law in some ways needs to have a place and, and we need to figure out what that place is in our life. So go ahead and give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I, I want to push some more. So how, how do you determine what so, so are you advocating for um is the idea of the law does still exist and what's retained in the New Testament. And so now we we take, you know, the moral law or the eternal principles. Yeah, you're, you're getting to the, the question law. of like, are you getting to the question of like moral law, ceremonial law, judicial? Sure. Well, I'm just, I'm just asking you. I'm hearing you say that. Divide those up. Yeah, if we're not if we're not getting rid of it, right? If we're not antinomians, right? Well, what do we do with it, and how do you choose which what you do with what? That's my question to you, and I'll, I'll give you mine in a little bit. I mean, I, I think the basic thing you're looking at is there are the moral principles of the law that pass down. I, I mean, I would say that it's okay. like you know there there's a certain morality that that God lays out in His law that passes down to us. Um, I, I'm 
you know, I used to be very like, okay, there's ceremonial, there's judicial, there's, and then there's moral law. And, uh, you know, very early on, you know, that's kind of how I would explain it. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that now because that makes it sound like, uh, it makes it sound like some of that stuff is less important or was less important. And mm-hmm. I don't want to like, yeah. I don't want to make it sound like any of that other stuff was unimportant. I don't think yeah. it was unimportant. Um, but there's just in the, in the dispensation of grace, so to say, oh, look which at you. I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, Join that's my team. Grace has always existed. Come on. So in the dispensation of grace, Okay. That that things change, right? That it's it's different now. Like Christ fulfilling the provisions that the law gives, something fundamental has changed about the yeah. law itself. Um, so yes. There so, you go. Yeah. So now at least we found a tension point, right? We you're talking about earlier, like oh, mm-hmm. I think I got. So the so yeah. So the, if all this is true, the purpose of law was for this. Christ fulfilled the law. Then the question then become the tension point. I guess becomes. So what do you do with it now, right? And you mentioned Andy mm-hmm. Stanley, and you mentioned so um, mm-hmm. another another real practical, right? Ten Commandments, right? Uh, what uh-huh. do you what do you do with Sabbath? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, um, uh-huh. and, and it does because and, and there's different ways, and so um, I think oftentimes uh, I, th- I think the question is is you know is it possible to divide the law into set segments, right? Is, is to take take yeah, law yeah. and to say okay, these are ethical versus ritual, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so the idea is, oh, we these are eternal principles that are behind the law, right? And so mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter if you eat shellfish or not, but here's the principle behind it, right? Or these are dietary, right? This is just for them to be healthy. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and a lot of it ends up kind of being that what's the conscience behind it? Um, but, but the problem is, is the Old Testament has just tons of other laws that are not just these conscientious, you know, principalized laws. There's lots of just random laws in there, right? Um, and so, mm-hmm. so then you have the task of figuring out which ones are eternal and which ones are not and why. And, and then, you know, it's, so then, then you may get where it looks like we're following the law, but we're really following this eternal law. Um, it's a, my problem is, is that New Testament, nor ancient Judaism, nor the Old Testament um, do that, right? That, that there's not a mm-hmm. division. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. So I would say that what does it mean for Christ to be the fulfillment of the law? He, he's not just fulfilling the eternal law. He's fulfilling the whole law, not just parts of it, too. I think we'd also argue that. So here's – so there's a tension point there. Hopefully, you know, do you, do you keep Sabbath or not? We actually, we actually at our church this week, we uh, we had a guy speak on Sabbath and Sabbath rest, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, James, uh, at the at your – I spoke at a thing with you this weekend and – I think talked about fasting and I, you know, I, I think that was there and I was like, yeah, I don't fast cause it's too slow. Right. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know if I see that as something you have to do or not do. And we could talk about that later, but, um, mm-hmm. here's, here's my argument. You've kind of explained yours. Um, and, and I love that you, I love that you concluded yours with going towards dispensation of grace. And then you, quickly backtracked. <laughs> I'm, it means I'm influencing you. Um, well, look, I've always said, like, I don't like to be put in either camps, but I've told you before, I tend to agree more with progressive dispensationalism than yeah. I do with anything. Um, yeah. So yeah. I have was, always said I lean that way. So Yeah. Well, let me tell you how a good dispensationalist then would answer this question. <laughs> um, uh, here, here's what I would do. Um, I go to Matthew 5, um, and you fulfill. What does it mean, fulfillment of the law? And so here, I think it's really mm-hmm. simple. In my, my my head, it's really simple. Um, the difference between what Christ is doing is, um, 
you know, b- between, you know, fulfillment and abolition, right? So antinomianism, uh, continuity, discontinuity, here's the, that's the big debate. Um, I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's the way where you have to go. I think what you can, you know, so the idea of whether, whether the law was fulfilled and thus replaced with the new covenant, and that's a denial of the law's authority, you know, um, there all these things come into it. But here's what I would hold is, is what did Christ, what did he come to do? He fulfilled the law um, in order, uh, how, how does how does Matthew five? He, he he fulfills the law in order to bring righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, fulfillment does not necessarily imply continuation, and it doesn't imply completion, right? That's not that's not what's mm-hmm. it's happening there. But but that what's happening is by Christ fulfilling the law means that we are no longer under law because Christ fulfilled it. So he didn't abolish it, but fulfilling it. And what? why does he fulfill it, right? Um, he fulfills mm-hmm. it. Christ is the end of the law in, this, in that sense with the result that there is righteousness. And, it's, and that righteousness mm-hmm. is now given not just for Christ, but to anyone. So because Christ has fulfilled the law, we are no longer subject to the law, but we are given righteousness. And, and, mm-hmm. and so I see of distinguishing between what righteousness is, and, and I think that I think that righteousness is uh, throughout the Old Testament, and what Christ gives us, and so what we are then given is, mm-hmm. so, so this is kind of becomes a thing is is okay now now I am righteous because Christ is righteous, and I will live righteously because Christ is is doing this work in me, but that does not mean I'll fulfill the law. It means I'll fulfill righteousness, mm-hmm. which is what the law was trying to show people that they ought to be, but that they couldn't do. Um, and so yeah. the law was a tool to show, hey, you're not righteous and you can't be righteous on your own efforts. So whether the law was directly that, – that's how the law related to righteousness. You're not more righteous if you eat fish or not – or eat, eat shrimp or bacon and, or not eat it. Mm-hmm. Unless God says don't do this, then now it's a righteous thing because now you're disobeying God. <laughs> that's – you know, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. It's not about dietary – and so I see that what happens now after Christ fulfilling the law, we're now released from the law in order to obtain the righteousness that God has – uh, God has uh, has uh, obtained for us, and that's kind of how we talk about James. Faith without works is dead, right? So now, what works? Mm-hmm. It's not works of the law, but it's it's this works that follow someone who's righteous. Um, so that's mm-hmm. that's the way I. So I, it's kind of a, you know, that's why whenever I look at the Ten Commandments, I, I do, do I have to follow the Ten Commandments? No, I'm not under them because those are the guidelines for the rest of the system. But and it's not even just the principles of the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments reveal to me what righteousness ought to be, which is obeying God in the heart of God. And, then, yeah. and I think Jesus summarizes this. So, so what's, the, what's the sum of the whole law? Well, love God and love others. What does it look like to be righteous? Yeah. And I think that theme is very much righteousness is consistent through the Old Testament, pre-law, during law, you know, in every dispensation. I do think that is a continuous thing. Um, yeah. Other dispensations will disagree with me, but that's where I'm at on it. So. Yeah, I yeah I I don't really have any issues. Uh, Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, other wrenches you could throw in. You know, I guess we kind of get into this conversation. One one of the things Dre I've been thinking about, and I haven't worked this concept out in my head fully because it, it's something I've it's something I've come across a lot in my own research as far as like what I'm doing for my dissertation as far as uh, Christ as King is there's a concept in there where the king was known as living the living law, 
Yeah. Right. And so you get this idea of Christ as living law. Yeah. And so, again, the law almost being fulfilled and recapitulated in Christ himself. And so Christ himself being the living law of God. Uh, you know, Paul even says in Galatians 6, verse 2, you want to bring in another thing. You know, Paul will just throw in here, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Yes. Right. He yep. almost law brings this directly into yeah. contrast yeah. with the law of Moses that these Judaizers have been emphasizing this whole time. Yeah. And Paul says, no, that's not what's important. What's important is you fulfill the law of Christ. That doesn't mean the law of Moses was bad, but yeah. it means what matters now is Christ's law and yeah. Christ as living law. And so that's, that, right. that's something I'm trying, really the idea of Christ as living law, I don't want to go fully into that because it's something I'm trying to really fully work out yeah. um, even in my own head. But, yeah. you know, so anyways, but, but that, what that's you, just what a you whole start other to, rabbit trail there. Yeah, but I think that's the correct rabbit trail. And I would, that's the one I would, I would go down. But, but really what you start seeing is Christ is not just our personal savior, right, for, mm-hmm. our, for our sin. But what you start realizing mm-hmm. is Christ is also the savior um, from the futility of our of a method of righteousness that 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 attempts to subject the flesh to the law, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is Pauline. Yeah. So so Christ is is saving us from a system of a of a, of a, a, futi- a futile system, a futile method of obtaining righteousness. You can't obtain righteousness through the law. How do you obtain? Right? But the mm-hmm. goal is is to to get this righteousness and in 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 right to. To, to be back in this space that God has, you know, ordained for us to be, right? God designed for us to be, um, but we we can't get there because the method we have in in our flesh is is futile, and so Christ is saving yeah. us not just from our sins, not just from the morality, the breaking of the law, or just even even our unrighteousness, right? Even this kind of over. I'm, I'm arguing that righteousness is kind of a, a bigger theme, bigger than the law itself, right? Um, yeah. And so the law is a method to try to obtain righteousness. Righteousness has always been the goal, and that does not change. Um, mm-hmm. And so, does the law does the law offer a a way to get righteousness? It, it gives you a way, but it's but it's a futile way. You cannot do it in the yeah. flesh. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that's why I'm not antinomian. I'm just saying that the law is functioning in that way, and then Christ fulfills it, and He gives us the law of Christ, a better way of doing that. And so. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I. So yeah. I, that's the way I'm going to go towards. How, how do you How do you bring these two into tension? Um, do I have to follow the law? No. Um, do I need to follow the law of Christ? Yes. Right. Does Does God will God produce Does God want righteousness produced in me? Yes. Um, what does that look mm-hmm. like? Love God. Love others. Um, and so. Uh, and then so I think that then then that goes to the next debate back to kind of I was playing around with Luther right this idea of sin boldly you know Luther would would kind of say. Um, unless something is explicitly excluded, you can do it, right? He's kind of took a positive, right? And then other churches at that time took a negative and said, you know, if, if it's not if it's not said, then you just don't do it. Err on the side of the negative, right? So you get churches without instruments, mm-hmm. right? We don't see instruments in there, so we shouldn't have them. Um, and so Luther would say, err on the side of grace. That's what he meant by that. Um, so not not yeah. antinomian, but really this idea of of figuring out what does righteousness look like. So that's it's where these tension points come. I think that is the tension of how does that work that people have to start learning to play out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, look, when you, when you try to follow the law without Christ, I mean, Galatians deals with the problem here where basically it's like, look, if you're Paul basically is like, look, if you're going to do that, then you also are subject to the penalty of the law. And and so the, the fact of the matter is, is if you want to try to live under the law, 
then you're going to have to live under its penalty, which is death. And so there's a, there's something better, right? That you've mm-hmm. been you've been lifted out of that. I, I like how you said system. You know, I like to use the word just yeah. uh, like what, there's a kingdom of darkness, and then there's the kingdom ruled by Christ, right? Correct. The yeah. kingdom of darkness where the powers of sin and death and Satan, where they are the rulers, the law exists in that system and that yeah. the law condemns that system. That basically just says, look, if you live in that system, you face the you face a penalty. Whereas when Christ saves us, you know, wherever Colossians says he delivered God it says God delivered us from the kingdom of darkness yeah. and put us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are now under a quote unquote different law, and that is a law that is characterized by grace. Yeah. Right? So yes, we strive for righteousness. We strive to love God, to love others, uh, but we do that knowing that we are under well, grace, that, or right? that you have that, it, right? That Christ has procured and that it we for have you. that we have grace, yeah, right? And yes. So mm-hmm. We are becoming what we are in Christ, is, and that's the Galatian problem: is we begin, we start with giving that righteousness, then we continue by becoming righteous um, through the Spirit of God, and this is the and it's and it, this does not match the you know the word flesh sarks it gets all these different things, but that, that's not the way things work here on planet Earth, right? I think that's Paul's point. It's a very mm-hmm. earthy, worldly term, right? Um, your nature here, the mm-hmm. nature of this world, of this fallen world, the kingdom, this system that we live in, right, does not work that way, and so we need a an otherworldly system, a system that evades in and breaks in, which is what Christ does, mm-hmm. and that's why we also pray, "Your kingdom come," right. Um, because yeah. we want mm-hmm. we want that world that Christ meets, and then we'll have that that reality will will become in glorification. So you kind of start seeing the salvation is in, is in, is in parts in that sense, um, in, in the sense that mm-hmm. we're glorified, and then and then we're moving from this world, and, and so there's the, and that and hence this leads to Romans seven. You know, I think some of these yeah. these these things, and that's a whole a lot lot of lot of rabbit trails you could go down to this. That's why it's, it's a very important New Testament concept. It's all I mean, very mm-hmm. important biblical concept. Um, all right, yeah, okay, I think think we've found some wrestling points, and that's that's all I can that's all I can say without going into really detailed stuff. Um, yeah, obviously, there's a lot of rabbit trails we can go down, and there's a yeah. lot we can talk about. But yeah, important concept. Um, I think I think though we covered you know the basic things that you need to understand and why it was a tension point um, in the especially why it was a tension point in the New Testament. Uh, but then, yeah, hopefully enough to like these are the things to think through uh, and. And really, hopefully, you know, if you're listening, you just see the depth of grace, of God's grace even more. Uh, yeah. So. Love it. Well, thanks again, as always, for listening to the podcast. If you have a question or topic that you would like for us to talk about, we have finished up this series on how does that work. But if you've got something else that you would like for us to talk about, uh, maybe it is a ten- another tension in scripture that you see that we didn't mention. Uh, you can reach out to us a couple different ways. You can uh, go to our Facebook page, Good Theological Thursday, and you can message us there, or you can email us at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard today, we'd ask you to consider subscribing to the podcast or follow the podcast. Leave us a rating or a review, or if you just have a friend that you think would benefit from this episode, pass it along to them. Trey, tell us where we're going next week. Yeah, join us next week as we just jump into another theological conversation about theonomy. So if you're curious about that, join us next Thursday. Until then, have a good Theological Thursday. See ya. See ya.